0: Whether you're an aspiring music business professional or a seasoned vet, every Thursday, the Music Business Podcast brings you the trends and tactics from some of the world's most innovative minds in music. I'm artist, manager, and consultant, Jordan Williams. And I'm Sam Heisel, co-founder of the music marketing and content production agency, Knox.
1: We're not teachers. We're entertainment industry professionals, drinkers, wannabe comedians, and most importantly, fans.
0: Welcome to the show. Jordan, what's good, man? How are you feeling? I'm good, Sam. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good, man. Very excited. Very special guest today. Zale Allenhorn. Zale is a is a manager, has an incredible roster of talent that he manages. Ryan Caraveo, uh, the Italian super producer and TikTok viral sensation Kina. Um, one of the, the truly like pioneering artists in the crypto art and NFT space, RAC. Uh, list continues to go on. I think really enjoy this episode. We, we dive into what it takes to, to grow as a manager, build a roster, the, the role of a manager, but then towards the second half of the episode, given RAC's success in the NFT space, being one of the top 100 artists in the space, we do get deep with regards to NFTs, um, how it's really changing the game within the music industry, how it's enabling artists and fans to uh, connect at a deeper level and do so in a way where there's more transparent earnings and, and models of support community engagement, talk about uh, innovative NFTs, how to build communities so that way you actually do have a successful NFT drop. I think we're now um, definitely on the downswing of what was the big hype cycle surrounding the, the first wave of NFT hype. So I think a lot of the tactics that we speak about in this episode are really going to be what enable long-term growth overall for artists that are looking to, to leverage NFTs to really engage their community and grow their income. Um, well so out to you, Jordan? Well, you know,
1: a note on the NFTs uh, topic, we've had a couple episodes now where we've brought NFTs up. Um, and according to our Patreon community, who we had a VIP happy hour with yesterday, there's still a little bit of, uh, of um, un- you know, not too much clarity there. So I'm glad, that we, I'm glad that we got into it today because RAC is a great person to use as inspiration for your own NFT collection. Um, One of the other things that I thought was really dope about the episode is he asked himself a question, which I hear from a lot of people, which is, I want to be a manager. How do I start managing people? I asked him directly, what did that look like? How did he approach his artists? What are the type of things he said? So if you're interested in managing an artist or you just want to be a manager and don't know how to enter the field, you can get a good sense of how to do that based on his story. Um, I really appreciate that he shared his methodology behind how he manages his clients and actually who he looks to in the industry for inspiration. Um, I I won't say who he looks to, but it is a fairly big name um, and his methodology is uh, really important and uh, super interesting to to dive into. So um, the last thing that I kind of thought was like super interesting was he brought up a sense of self for artists and how important it is to have a sense of self and have a a brand as an artist and how everything that you do will be rooted in that brand. Um, I think it's relevant to managers. It's relevant to artists themselves, kind of anybody that's in that space around an artist can kind of help uh you know craft that image or or help that artist get to that goal of having that solidified brand so a lot of great stuff in this episode and and definitely excited for people to hear it one thousand
0: percent and on the subject of uh community Definitely want to encourage you guys to check out our kind of Patreon community, our Discord. Um, Like Jordan was mentioned, kind of diving into things, have monthly VIP happy hours for our different patrons. So really a special place to connect with other music industry professionals, find a network of support, ask questions, get plugs. Um, To learn more and sign up there, just go to musicbusinesspodcast.com slash community. Um, And without any further ado, Zale Allenhorn. Zell, what's happening, man? Welcome to the show. What's good, dude?
2: Thank you guys for having
0: me. Uh, We're we're thrilled. It's a glorious day. Um, I mean, we'd love for you really just to set the stage, right? I I love your story. You have a really awesome, diverse roster of different artists you're working on and kind of supporting them and servicing them in a a really cool uh, array of different ways. For starters, yeah. can you just kind of talk through your journey of how you were able to really develop your roster over time? I know it's it didn't happen overnight by any means, but just carry okay. some of the, the big points in the journey as to how it all came together.
2: Yeah, dude, of course. Um, well, to start, I was born. That was step one. I feel like that's essential in most people's journeys. Critical, critical. Uh, you know, it's uh, often, often, often overlooked. That.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. We trying to make of... the same joke at the same time. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean that's the Perfect. starting point, right? Um, I don't know, man. I grew up in Amherst, Massachusetts, small little college town with like a lot of tobacco barns, a lot of cows, a lot of psychologists. Um, both my parents are psychologists. Both my grandparents are psychologists. And like my whole thing growing up in high school was like, the only thing I'm not going to be when I grow up is a fucking psychologist. And, um, Turns out the joke was on me because like this entire job is basically psychology. So I guess you can only like, it's the salmon theory, you know, salmon always like return to like the place that they originally came from. Um, Like you can only go so far before you come back home. So went to school, was not really interested in almost anything except for music, Uh, played music when I was growing up and was just absolutely horrible at it. I was in like Nirvana cover bands and just like all this, like other shit, like, performing at Ben and Jerry's and stuff and was like, yeah, this is not, this is not going to happen. Um, and then when I was in college, I was kind of just like, all right, cool. Like, let's just like learn about the music game a little bit and, um, started managing a couple artists back then. I called the the one guy that I knew in the music industry was this guy named Jaime who was a friend of my godfather and he wrote jingles for Hallmark commercials. And that was like the only connection that I had. So I called him and I was like, yo, how do I I think I want to be a manager. In music, like how do I do that? And he's like, "Well, you, dude, you just have to start." He was like, "You," li-, and I was like, "What do you mean? Like, I who, do I work for a company?" And he's like, no, "No, no, like the only way to begin this is to literally just like start doing it." So like, go find an artist to manage. You probably won't manage them in five years, but like, cut your teeth and figure it out along the way. So, found a couple artists at the college that I was going to, Connecticut College before I transferred to Northeastern. Um, And just kind of started doing it. And about a year into it, I took an internship at at FX out here um, and an internship at this record label called The Brain, um, which was run by this guy named Freddie Wexler, who was kind of my first mentor and um, real, I don't want to say like player, because like That's just a weird word to use for him. But he was the first real like person in the music industry that like, like deeply in the music industry that like I started to get to know. Um, About halfway through that summer internship, he was kind of just like, yo, I think you should stop working for FX unless you're like trying to work in TV. And the only thing I was doing at FX was like, I was like writing, you know, like how, like when you watch a Netflix show, they're like the descriptions of the episodes and stuff. So I'll like watch an episode of a TV show and just like write the description. And I was like, man, I don't, I don't want to work in TV. This is horrible. Um, So I quit that and started working for him. At the end of the summer, uh, at that point, Lewis the child was really starting to like take off. And I was like, yo, these kids are amazing. Like we got to make them an offer, like all this stuff. And um, we did, it didn't go through. But right before I was about to leave my last week of that internship, he was like, yo, I think you should drop out of college and come work for me. Um, and I'd already paid for like the next year of school. And I was like, so listen, why don't I go do this? I'm going to go do my next year of school. And then I'm going to drop out and come out here. Started working with Freddie. Uh, we worked on this amazing artist named Moxie Rea and a bunch of other people together. She ended up going on tour with Bieber. And uh, at the end of that year, it was kind of a question of like, do you want to stay in LA and keep doing this? Or do you want to build something yourself? Um, and, I chose the latter and, uh, went back to school, found a couple artists in Boston that I started working with, um, and finished up and got my degree. And then, uh, moved out here in 2017, kind of like got super involved in the electronic scene, sort of in like the emo rock scene as well. Um, and I mean, at this point I was like, dead broke like sleeping like on my artist couches just like trying to like figure all this out like in the center of hollywood and uh at a certain point like one of the bands that i was working with signed a record deal with warner brothers i moved into a house in the hills with them because like you know you're a kid and you're like out in la and you just signed your first major record deal and you're like yo we're gonna do it we're gonna be the biggest thing in the entire world so you're like, let's go get like a big ass house in the hills and like all split the rent. And like this is what Los Angeles is, and like this is what <laughs> standard, the music industry standard. is. <laughs> and it turns out, it turns out that shit actually doesn't work. Like Entourage is totally not real life, man. I can promise you that much. <laughs> um and uh I mean, wh- one person in that band is still a very dear friend of mine, but the whole thing kind of just like went under. And uh I at that point I picked up a roster of about four art four to five artists. Um, so
1: how are you doing this? You, you, you say you worked with a couple artists in Boston. You just said you picked yeah. up a couple of artists. Uh, for people who don't know, is are they, are they cold emails? Are you introduced through people? How, how do some of those connections happen? <sighs>
2: um, honestly, when I was in Boston, I was just like meeting kids in Boston and going to shows and just like going up to them after the shows and just being like, yo, what's up? Like I'm Zale. Um, I think you're awesome and we should talk. And uh that was sort of it. Like at the very beginning, it was just about finding small artists that like you really believed in that you were willing to stand behind. And I don't Mm -hmm. necessarily think that like those principles ever really change. Like, I think that when you find an artist that is like, it's so obviously something that you feel like you can put like who you are and like all of your energy and like your passion and the connections that you've worked so hard to build behind and like stand with it and be like, all right, cool. Like, I'm willing to completely represent this and put my reputation on the line for this artist. That's something worth working towards. Um, How you end up signing them. I think it's just knowing about how to talk to artists, honestly, for the most part, they're the really good ones are going to be really sensitive, intelligent people who see things in different ways. And I think that um, if, if you're a little too cookie cutter, if it's a little bit too, um, cut and dry, then like, you know, you'll get cookie cutter cut and dry artists, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. Um, I think that we, you know, we attract the we attract the shit that we put out. So it's uh you gotta know what you're looking for and also just be like aware of like when you when you get connected to an artist and you hear their music for the first time, you're like, oh shit, like this is almost something that like I wish that I could say or something that I wish that I could make if I made music. Um, mm-hmm. I think that gives you a level of uh, I think that gives a certain type of depth where you're able to stand behind it and really represent it in a different sort of way. Instead of just like acting like as a manager and just like right. making their deals and like doing their stuff for them. You know what I mean? Right. Like it, it adds a certain level of personalization to the entire thing. Right. Um, so anyway, so to go back out here for three years, uh ended up signing, you know, well, Ben Zadie was an artist who was an intern with me uh, when I first heard Dots LA. Nate Fox, who produced like Acid Rap and like, you know, 10 Day and all of chances, like original stuff, like member of the social experiment, brilliant producer, hit me up being like, yo, did you hear this song that Ben Zadie did? It's brilliant. And uh, when Ben first, he's gonna kill me for saying this on a podcast, but when I first started uh, like hanging out with Ben, we went surfing one day and I knew he was like a Harvard poetry major. And he was like, yo, will you manage me? And I was like, dude, I'm not, I'm not a manager. I'm an intern at this record label with you. What are you talking about? And he was <laughs> like, let me just show you my music. And he showed me this thing that at the time he called nature rap. And literally it was Ben Zadie. I mean, if you don't know him, he's like an incredible singer songwriter. One of the best, like honestly, poets of our time, in my opinion. Um, but the cover of it was literally just like him wearing a fake horse head with his bare ass facing the camera. And I was like, dude, there's no way I can represent this. So by the time that Nate Fox hit me back and was just like, yo, like you got to check out this new song. I was like, man, this is truly, truly, truly incredible. Um, and we can get into like the Benz 80 stuff later or whatever, but like, it was just a step-by-step build up until the point where, uh, in 2019, um, In 2019, I basically reached a point where I realized that I think that when an artist trusts you to be their manager and to look after their career, they're trusting you with like a really deep part of themselves, right? Where this music comes from and what it is that they're making is something that's like that's their entire life right there. And your job is to make sure that it ends up getting heard. And if you can't dedicate a hundred percent, or at least what it is that they need in order to make sure that that gets heard to them, then you're probably not doing your job correctly. And in 2019, I hit a point where I was kind of just like, man, I feel like I am spread so thin that maybe it's time to join a management company. And around then I started talking to a bunch of them, landed at YMU, Joel Mark and Matt Colon and Peter Katzis and Andrew Goldstone and like all the people that I ended up meeting with, I was just like, damn, these are like, these are just good human beings. And I like their work ethic and I like the way they think about things. Um,
1: what is that and... process like? Like when you start to, and Sam, sorry, I know you got questions. No, go for him. it, man. When, um, when you join a, a management company, what's some of the things I want you to kind of expand on why you thought that was relevant um, or necessary for people that may be in the same position. And then what, what is that process like to say, okay, here are my artists those are your artists. Let's make them one under one roster, but you also have to kind of like, you know, you just said a few minutes ago that you have like a a huge personalization with these artists and you have like a connection with these artists. How do you kind of help that company? How do you transfer some of that personal connection across the company in order for everybody to kind of work equitably for the, for the artists?
2: I think you got to convince people that the artists that you're bringing in are worth the attention of the company. First and foremost, because you're competing against A listers. And uh, when they're still developing, it's difficult to make sure that everyone's kind of just like, man, this is something that's like eventually going to like make money and like be like an important part of like our roster. Um, And then the second part is just like, you know, with YMU, everything's very, very, very collaborative. Like I work on several projects like Soul Asylum and like John Coltrane that like are managed by Joel Mark. And like I think the other part of it is just like kind of showing what type of work ethic you have and what it is that you're willing to do to get the things done that, uh, that other people just aren't at the end of the day and i think when people see that kind of um intention and that kind of like tenacity they'll then pay attention to the stuff that you're trying to tell them is something that's like really important and that's when you end up getting the supportive company behind you but i'm not gonna tell you that it's not hard you know like i You, you go from having control over everything that you do to answering to a larger entity. And, um, at this point I hadn't really worked for anybody other than myself in a very long time. And, um, you need to always like a huge part of it was sort of just like putting the artist careers ahead of my own, to be honest with you. Like I sort of felt like if I kept on doing it independently, my own career would be like fine but like their careers would be better if I ended up joining a larger entity that could offer more to them. And Wyoming has done an amazing job of doing that.
0: In that vein, I mean, when when you are speaking to even just being able to provide value to your artists by yourself, by partnering, like if you had to distill the role of a manager into the core elements of providing value, like what are they from your perspective?
2: Neil, who was the CEO of uh, of YME when I first joined, once said to me that management is uh, making happen what wouldn't otherwise. And to me, like that's the core of all of it. He had to, right? he had like, to make
0: it sound like he's Yoda, bro, with the. Yeah, no, for real. Like I mean, <laughs> I mean he said, "Yeah."
2: I, honestly, he didn't say it in the exact voice, but like I, I could picture it for sure. Um, (laughs) no, dude, it's like, it's your, your involvement needs to mean that, like, these artist careers are moving in a way that like they wouldn't without you, you know, um, and if you're not going out of your way to like make sure that like stuff is getting done or like bringing new ideas to the table or figuring out what path they need to take at the end of the day, the artist's job is to make music and they need to be involved in everything that it is that they're doing, but it's your job to make sure that the ears and eyes that are deserved for that artist, like that, that whole thing occurs. And there are a lot of different methods to doing it, but like, and it's different for every single artist that you manage, but at the end of the day, like that is the job.
0: I love that. And then, so even to take it a, yeah, a level further, I mean, and then there's kind of, um, Like how, how, so how hands on do your artists tend to be in that process? And I know this is very much case by case and some are like very like, we need to do this, do this, do this. Others are like, I just want to lock in in the studio um, and make music. And then you figure out the rest. Um, How do you kind of navigate that? Dude,
2: it's on such a case by case basis for sure. (laughs) Um, I think that, you know, Billy like Billie Eilish and like her team are a huge inspiration to the way that like I I conduct business and the way that like I work with my artists. Because like if you ask anybody, like, man, she's involved in everything that she does. Doesn't mean that she's making all of her social assets. She's not making, she's not like customizing banners for TikTok or whatever. But like everything that has to come from a creative standpoint, there is some fingerprint of hers that's like, that's there. And I think that to become some, like an artist that's truly that recognizable and honestly like that great, like your presence needs to be felt in everything that it is that you do. Mm -hmm. So there are some artists that I work with or have worked with who like are a little bit more hands off who, uh, who rely a little bit more on the management or label sides, like do a lot of the branding for them. And like, that's okay. Um, Especially when you're first like kicking it and beginning what it is that's going to be something later on but i think long-term growth is about a really core sense of identity and being able to always return back to that you know and i think that the best artists in the world are the ones that really know like who they are and what it is that they like and they're able to like look through a thousand photos from that shoot and be like this is the one this is the one that we're going to use you know Like they're able to like look at their videos and be like, "This is exactly like what I don't want to see." Even if you thought that it was like really, really, really fucking cool. Like Ryan Caraveo, that kid, like, is involved in literally everything that we do together. Like every decision that we make ends up being Ryan's. I'm there to present opportunities and like present like facts and present ideas to him. But at the end of the day, what actually happens is like that's his call. Ben Zadie for the past, like, you know, he, we just signed him to network in October of last year, but up until like he recently got some more help on this, every single social asset, every single music video, every single like fucking photo shoot was like mostly all coordinated by him. And I think that that core sense of who you are as an artist is like, it's not just about being able to do it all. It's about the fact that the audience is really smart. And they can tell when it's being manufactured and they can tell when it's coming from you directly. I think for like long-term fan engagement, it's one of the most important things in the world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Love that. And I think um, it's cool to see how you balance it and super delicate balance at that. With that said, I mean, I'm curious when it comes to, I know we had a chance to collaborate on, on Kina. And I mean, he's definitely one of like the producers in your roster, Like servicing, a, and by no means are you like only a producer manager, which is cool. And you're very much kind of diverse and and float across that. Like when it comes to managing um, somebody like him, that's really just cranking out beats. Like Mm -hmm. how does your approach differ for supporting a producer versus supporting performers? A
2: really good question. Um, I think that, I mean, Kina is very much an artist in his own right, you know? first and foremost. So like you I do kind of look at him like as another artist that like I'm managing and like just because he isn't singing and he is just like producing beats and stuff like that doesn't mean that he's not an artist by any means. But I think that when you're working with a producer artist, I don't think that there's like a good word for it honestly that exists right now, but like when you're working with a producer artist, I think that it's about bringing as many different musical opportunities to the table as possible simply because you have no idea exactly what's going to stick or like when the magic is going to occur, you know, versus like somebody like Ryan has been working with the same producer for the past three years, you know, on the past, like few albums. Um, It's like Drake and 40, you know what I mean? Like those dudes have been making music forever together. Like they're just like dialed in, like, you know what you're going to get. And like, you know, like what's going to come of it. Whereas like working with a producer like Kina, it's more about bringing people into his world. You know, like he has this whole thing called like the Kina mood, which is like black and white, sad reflective and like um pretty i don't want to say like shy but it's definitely much more introverted than it is extroverted and i think that in pop music i think that in hip-hop i think that in you know indie like almost everything right now there are elements of that and i think that finding Finding those elements within the artist that you want to work with and then figuring out how that can match up with a producer like Kina, is, first of all, like a really fun challenge. And shout out to Maria at Columbia because she's a fucking expert at this. Like that woman's an absolute genius when it comes to getting this done. Um, But it's just about bringing people into that world and almost bringing out that side of them instead of forcing your production on other people, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, 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 For sure. No, I love that. Makes a lot of sense. Um, so I, I know like all all roads lead back to NFTs in one way or another. So it's it's just destiny that, that now uh, this is where we've come. With that said, I, I think um, it is interesting to see how NFTs have really been getting deep within the music industry. And I think large in part due to artists that have really been pioneering the process like RIC and you Manage. For starters, before we dive into some more kind of like broader topics as it pertains to how we feel blockchain and NFT will, will kind of infiltrate music further, like really just curious about like RIC's journey. Like, I know he's been at the, the forefront, really been able to do a lot of innovative stuff in the space and build a community within the, the NFT world. But um, yeah, can you just kind of walk through that journey? I know it seems like where he's at now versus a, a year ago has been a pretty uh, profound change.
2: Man, Andre is like, <laughs> that dude's an actual pioneer, like for real. Like there are like some people that will jump into spaces and like kind of pretend to like be experts and stuff. Like Andre has been like making music and in the crypto space for like a decade at this point. Um, and in 2017, I was actually like, I learned about blockchain and about and about crypto in 2017. I actually got paid in Bitcoin and in Ethereum by... Uh, this company that was working with Andre and I immediately sold it because I was 21 and completely broke and it's really hard to look back on those on those transactions right now but like whatever (laughs) Um, and uh, he was at that time I was doing like some like just like small time consulting for Ujo and Andre was making the first tokenized album and he was just like as soon as I saw that I was like man like this dude is like just thinking about things so differently. He did this whole like interview series with them, like about like the project, like how he thought that it was going to be incorporated into the music industry in the next like four or five years. And then there was the big ICO boom, then it all crashed. And then things kind of leveled out for a little while. And it sort of picked up like the perfect time because Last year, you know, well, when I first started working with Andre, he's been, you know, I work with Matt Cologne and Joel Mark on Andre as well. And they've have managed him for the past decade or so. And uh, and I was walking down the staircase from the parking lot into the YMU office one afternoon, about a month into working for the company. And I ran into Joel and he was like, Hey, like, how was your meeting? And I was like, It was good. And he was like, Listen, we'll talk more about it tomorrow, but I think we want you to start working. And, like, really, like, leading, like, the RIC project. And I, like, internally just, like, lost my mind. But on the outside, I was like, yeah, like, for sure. Like, that sounds cool. Like, what's you working on? Can I, can I hear yeah, the album but, yeah, whatever? Yeah, I think I got some time. Yeah, yeah I was yeah. like, yeah, totally. Like, I'll figure <laughs> it out, man. Like, whatever. Um, I, listened, I listened to Boy. It's right, right here. So convenient. Um, on the way home. And I was like, this is just... I mean, dude, I like grew up on RIC. Like when I was in college and stuff, like he was number one on hype and, like every single week. And it was like, I was like, man, this guy's just like the coolest and also just thinks about things so differently. So when we first started working together, you know, I spent a week putting together this like 15 page marketing plan for him. And when we first met, like we sat down and we went through the whole thing and he was kind of just like, all right, like we're going to think about this next project differently and we're going to approach things differently now. And I think that that mindset going into March of last year, when we were at the YouTube space shooting a couple of music videos, is sort of what allowed us to do what it is that we did over the course of the, of the next year. Um, for the most part, I, I, like I honestly can't take too much credit for it. Like it really is like Andre's brain paying attention to like the the crypto space and the NFT space, and I've had to learn a lot thanks to that guy. Um, but when we were shooting those videos in the pandemic hit, and we realized that the tour that we were about to, you know, announce was going to get canceled. Like, dude, there were literally moments in the music video shoot where Andre would be coming up to me and being like, is the tour canceled yet? And I'd be like, nah. And he'd come up to me 10 minutes later and be like, yo, is the tour canceled yet? And I'd be like, nah. Later that day, the tour was canceled. And as we were driving back to his hotel, he was like, Hey, listen, like, I think this next year is going to be a lot uglier. Than people are expecting right now. And if we wait three weeks to figure out how we're going to not go on tour, because like, that's how Andre like makes money, right. Is going on tour. Then we're going to be way too far behind. And I was like, okay, cool. So we called up Patreon. We started his Patreon club. um, And that ended up doing really well right off the bat. Started streaming on Twitch and eventually, like Twitch noticed, and we started talking to them. Started doing three streams a week, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, um, six p.m. to like nine to ten p.m. And just building out this whole community. And we did that pretty religiously between like Twitch and Patreon for probably six months, honestly. Until we did his first crypto initiative after we released Boy, which was the the RAC tape. Um, which was completely Andre's idea, and, uh, and Jax Spallone, who, who worked with us on it. But the idea was to basically show that music still has value when it's determined by the market. right? We've gotten into this system now where like, the value of a song is based upon like, what the streaming service is willing to pay you for it. And Andre's whole thing was kind of just like, yo, I've been saying this for years, but like, if we allow the market to determine the value of music, then like things are going to be really different. So we made a hundred tokens, right? Each of those tokens represented one of the cassette tapes. And in order to get the cassette tape, you had to redeem the token. And those tokens ended up trading for, I think the high point was around $13,000 which makes it the most expensive cassette tape of all time. I think we beat out like Prince and Linkin Park and a couple others, which is still absolutely crazy to me. And as soon as that happened, That's crazy to everyone. That's, that's insane in general. (laughs) I still, I I still got to call the Guinness book of world records and get that in there. But um, (laughs) we, uh, that was the moment where I was kind of just like, okay, cool. Things are definitely changing. And I think that I know this wasn't the question, but like, it does relate back to this. Like, I think that one of the things about the pandemic is that it forced all of us to adjust. And I think that the music industry, if it's good at anything is adjusting really quickly to things that are working. Um, and like, you sort of have to be just like very in tune with like what's happening at all times in order to like maneuver the way that like is necessary to get things done. And shortly after we dropped the tape, um, we launched the RIC token, which we can get into. Um, we gave a bunch of it away to his Patreon subscribers and his Twitch subscribers and the people that were already supporting him, and we made it so that like they literally owned a part of the project. And all of a sudden, all these—sorry
1: people- um, to interrupt. How did you decide to give it away? Sam and I were just talking about this yesterday. Someone asked us, like, um, you know, should they auction their NFT? Should they sell it for a really low price? And Sam also was like, you know, sometimes you should just give it away, which is something that you did. How did how did you kind of come to that decision?
2: I think for social tokens, it's different from NF- for NFTs, right? But mm-hmm. for social tokens, it's a representation of your investment in that artist's career, right? Mm-hmm. It's almost like how you used to like pay to like be in fan clubs and stuff like that. But this is almost like an inverse relationship where mm-hmm. like your involvement and your dedication to an artist actually ends up paying off for you as a consumer and as a fan. Mm-hmm. And so we were like, okay, cool. So the most dedicated people that follow Andre are mm-hmm. going to be the people that subscribe to them on Patreon and mm-hmm. be the people that are tuning into every single Twitch stream and subscribing mm-hmm. month after month. So let's just give them a bunch of tokens. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, all these people that had never owned crypto before were like, well, okay, what is this? And it wasn't even about like the value of the coin. It wasn't even about like, um, oh, I have like some more money or something like that or something else that like that represents like ownership of uh of an asset with monetary value it was Mm -hmm. more about getting them to ask the question of like what does this mean when i'm participating in an artist's career and i'm actually Mm -hmm. in some way a part of it right Right. when an artist is taking their entire brand and tokenizing it and putting it within this this format that allows your fans to actually like participate in your success like that's a complete game changer and like i'm happy to get into that later Um, but Immediately after that, in October, he called me and he was like, yo, so there are these things called NFTs and we're going to do some. And I was like, okay, cool. Explain it to me. And he did. And uh, we launched the first one uh, in like, I think it was October or November of last year Mm -hmm. uh, on super rare. And it sold for like, it was like $27,000. And we just like freaked out because we were just like, this is, and now it's funny because like an NFT selling for 27 grand is like not that much anymore. But at the time, I think it like it broke the super rare record for like the highest one of one so far with Andreas Reisinger, who like did the art for Boy and like everything else. And we were just like, man, this maybe this is the new paradigm. And uh, over the course of the next six months, it just completely exploded.
1: Right. So you mentioned that he has a Patreon active community on Twitch, um, but we've also seen people kind of like release NFTs and sort of get like a quote unquote backlash from it, like these major artists that. Um, get millions of dollars from an NFT that they release RAC even though he's very successful is not in that situation I feel like Mm -hmm. a lot of people including myself including Sam including the people that I've spoken to in the industry want to see him win and how do you think you guys made that happen in terms of bringing an NFT to market while still pushing forward a community at the same time how do you think you guys accomplished that and 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 what do you think artists
2: have to do to, to get to that place? I think you just said it, honestly. I think those two things go hand in hand. I think that bringing an NFT to the market while pushing the community forward and bringing more awareness to the crypto community and like figuring out different ways to make sure that like creators and art is valued, the intention behind that can be felt. In certain drops you know i'm not going to name names here but like there are definitely certain drops that you can tell are cash grabs right and those mm-hmm. ones don't work because the crypto community doesn't necessarily want to support stuff that's just a cash grab right it just looks like traditional music industry bullshit where like a new thing comes in everybody jumps onto it and like you just kind of offload whatever it is that you have in order to like make a quick buck and especially uh-huh. after after the pandemic and like the lack of touring artists have been hurting you know? So it's not like that's an irrational decision from a business side of things. Like that's, that's definitely the right thing to do. But the point of this is to bring the value back to the creators. Right. And the point of this is to add another dimension of expression to the art that you put out. And for like, for example, with Andre's recent EP, You, which we released on March 26, like the nifty drop that we did, the different objects that you could collect were literally like they were from the artwork, which was like called, which we, which was also an NFT, um, which we called the room. And it was this like almost this experience of, I mean, Jordan, what's like, w- what's your favorite album of all time? Honestly, I'm going to put you on the spot. Like you got to think of it real um, quick.
1: I'll just say the first one that came to my brain because I listened to a consistency since it's came, since it came out, but um, speaker box, the
2: love below. By Al okay. <laughs> Great answer. <laughs> um <laughs> uh if you could dive 10 layers deeper into that project, you would in a second, right? You'd like kind of like throw everything that you like had at diving deeper into that project. And with like with the U NFT drop, we wanted to give people the opportunity to like dive deeper into the project and like think about things in a different sort of way and pay attention to like the overall mood of it. Like the whole thing is about previous items from like, or, or like items that you still have from past relationships and the nostalgia that's attached to them. And it's kind of communicated in the music for sure. Like if you listen to the lyrics and like listen to the EP, like absolutely. That's the, that's the vibe of the music But reading the descriptions of the NFTs, understanding what each one like represents, like you just go a couple layers deeper. And I think when you do that kind of stuff with like enough Thought and enough purpose and intention to the point where it enhances the original art that it's connected to. That's when it feels genuine, and that's when NFTs like become this whole other like dimension of artistic expression. When it's kind of just like, yo, I'm a big name, and I'm gonna just throw something out there and just like make a few million real quick because like people are gonna think that it's valuable. Um, I just don't think that works the same way. Um, the other part of it is like involvement in the space. Like Andre's been in this for so long. Like Justin like Blau has been in this for so long. Like all the people that are killing it right now have been involved deeply in the crypto community for years at this point. And I'm not saying that like other people shouldn't get in. I'm not saying that other people like shouldn't be, you know, trying to learn about it. It's more about um it's more about doing the research and understanding it for yourself and then figuring out how you fit into the space than it is just like capitalizing on a moment and something that's hot, which I think we're all really good at. And we have to think about a lot, but like going deeper is something that, uh, that a lot of people, maybe, maybe they just don't have the time for, I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I I love that. And I mean, especially the notion of like building community, engaging with community, doing so in an authentic way, not simply looking at this as an opportunity for direct monetization, but really as a mechanism of bringing unique depth and authenticity and creative expression and community engagement and kind of really pressing it on those sides, not just this like, oh, I'm gonna make some more money. Um, in that vein, like I know like RIC is at the forefront of the community. He launched six, the agency that's working with some other awesome artists. Like you clearly have a lot of kind of like uh, a bird's eye view of the space overall. Um, when it actually comes to like innovation, I know we're starting to see a lot of like perks and like IRL components, uh, and kind of incentives where people are innovating on how to really use the NFT format from your perspective. Like, what are you seeing as kind of, uh, cool ways to leverage NFTs outside of like, okay, here's a video audio file.
2: I think physical components make it more palatable first and foremost. I don't know if it's like, I don't think it's the future of NFTs, but I think that when people spend large amounts of money on something, they're used to getting something physical. I think that was a brilliant part of Blau's campaign when, um, you know, when he casually did what, like 12 million on that drop or 11.7 or whatever. Um, was the fact that like people were getting something physical, uh, that they could actually like use to like represent their ownership. Um, I don't know. I mean, we did it for Andre's last drop. We made a custom speaker that was like the, like the RAC speaker with an hour long piece of ambient music that Andre made, um, that plays through the speaker. And like that ended up selling for, I think 300K as like the, the one of one, um, I think having a physical component as an added incentive is a really good way to like communicate the value to people who might not understand the value of digital assets. But at the same time, like, you know, it's, um, you know, the analogy I always use is like, you can, you can go to to the Louvre and go to the gift shop and buy, you know, a print of the Mona Lisa, or you can get it on a t-shirt, you can get it on a coffee mug, or you could print it out from your computer and frame it and hang it up in your living room. That doesn't mean that you own the Mona Lisa. Right. That doesn't mean that it's like yours. I think that for digital art, especially in the age of like Instagram and like oversharing on social media and um, all that kind of stuff, has almost like devalued digital art because people are expecting to be paid for it in like likes and engagement. And now they're realizing that it's like that it's actually worth a lot more to own that. Mm-hmm. Um, what's exciting to me in the space right now is like just the fact that it's like purely the Wild West. Like I think the coolest NFT and like the coolest shit that is going to be done, like has not actually happened yet. You know, like that's the best part about crypto and about, um, and about this whole space is that it really is kind of limitless and it's based only upon like, yes, there are definitely technical limitations, but like, if you can come up with something, there's a good chance that like, it can be done. Um, Mm -hmm. and if that idea is creative enough and like disruptive enough, like, there will be a platform or a development team or like something that's going to make sure to like, that's capitalized on. And I think that kind of like endless realm of possibility based upon something as simple as just like an idea, it feels like, as Andre says, like it always feels like the, uh, the early days of the internet, you know, when like nobody really understood like what this thing was yet or like how this tool could be used. And I think honestly, the most exciting thing to me isn't like a specific format of doing nft drops or like ways to make it just a piece of 3d art but i think the most exciting thing to me is just like the gigantic blank slate that we're all kind of just drawing on right now and figuring yeah. out the the pieces as we go along
0: yeah no it's gonna be super exciting and i mean I, I think it's like um people i mean even just i mean in the music side specifically i mean, artists are really just mechanisms for creative expression and build communities around it. And this is really just another like canvas and and forum to really do that and engage with community. In in that same vein, to take it another level further with regards to community, I know you like everything, uh, this goes I'm sure across the board for artists, but like Andre and RIC is an interesting example. I mean, given the story you shared, I mean, he kind of went hard on Patreon for a uh, kind of a place for super fans. She's building community on Twitch. She's really mm-hmm. engaged in the crypto community. Um, here comes crypto, of course, social tokens. Um, I think like friends with benefits for people that aren't super familiar is kind of a, a pioneering model of what it looks like to have kind of a, a tokenized co- community where people can effectively invest in social tokens and gain access to a community, which is really kind of discord. Um, I mean, that's, how, how do you foresee... What so, is
1: that platform, Sam? Sorry, it's, I mean, it's a Discord or it's a website?
0: It's it's a Discord channel with a bunch of mm-hmm. the kind of like leaders. Okay, cool. Crypto space, music space, culture space all coming together. Find folks like Zale. Um, when you think about like that as a model, I mean, NFTs are, are having their moment right now. And I think still very early on, but it definitely seems like social tokens will kind of be this next wave. Like, how do you foresee... Um, social tokens and, and tokenized communities breaking into the music industry as well?
2: It's a great question. First and foremost, I think that the whole idea of social tokens is like, I love the idea of being able to just double down on what you believe in, right? Like, I think that's really true to music. I think that's really true to artist management. I think that's really true to like artists creating music. I think that's true to like, even like record labels, like placing bets on artists, like early on in their career, you know, big bets on them. Mm-hmm the opportunity to find something where you're kind of just like, yo, I think that like, this is going to go. And not because it's going to like 900 X or something like that, but because it's something that like you want to be involved in, whether it's like an artist or like a token or something like that is like, I don't know. I think that there's a big old question mark in terms of like where this goes. What I do know is that like artist careers for a very long time have not been owned even necessarily by them. And they definitely have not been owned by the fans. um I think the opportunity for fans to participate in artist careers and support the stuff that like they want to support in a way that's really tangible instead of just like buying merch or like going to shows and stuff like that is probably the most exciting part of all of this,
0: yeah, no, for sure, I mean I, mean, I think it's uh yeah, it's gonna be super exciting for giving fans ownership, letting their fandom actually appreciate over time making it more equitable to the point where there's not just like middlemen taking away all the earnings and income from the actual like fans yeah dude room. i
2: mean i was i, I was in a lincoln park fan club when i was like 13 years old Now i would get like stickers and like vinyl and cds and stuff like that i'm like i don't know if they got any of that money i was just like excited to like be a part of like some fucking fan club you know what mm-hmm. i mean like now it's actually like transparent now it's actually there now you actually know that the stuff that like Music's a huge part of all of our identity of of all of our identities, right? Like we listen to the music that we listen to and we tell our friends about the music that we like because it represents a certain part of us. And I think that this is just going 10 layers deeper into that. Like at the end of the day, like this is all just about self-expression. Like, why do people buy designer clothes? Why do people buy Yeezys? Why do people like get the stuff that they do? It's all just because it's like it's a way of expressing like, who you are and like what you like and like what it is that you associate with. And to me, social tokens and the music that you like are intrinsically connected a few years down the road, because like the only way to like really stand behind the stuff that you're just like, yo, I'm a real fucking fan of this. And I'm going to tell everybody that I'm a real fan of this because I'm willing to stand behind it is awesome.
0: Yeah. No, I love it. Totally. I mean, I think it's super exciting time. Um, super exciting way to empower fans, empower artists. I think really awesome to see everything that uh, like you and RC Andre are kind of doing to really push the, the culture forward in that regard. And I think um generally grateful for you coming on, man. Uh, all, all the projects and all the insight you share with us today, man. It's been a fun, fun conversation. Dude, I'm,
2: I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. This is like, I don't really, I don't really do these, but we were hanging out a couple of weeks ago and I was just like, man, I'll talk to Sam. Yeah, get, get, get a couple,
0: it. get a couple drinks going, and anybody's down for the yeah. podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah. is, is, that, is that your secret sauce? I, I, mean, it. It, well, I mean, now now it's exposed, not a secret anymore. No, but super grateful for having you on, man. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. dude,
2: absolutely. Thank you, guys. All right, peace. Cool.
0: man well that was a really great episode really enjoy hearing what zell had to say i think um really awesome to hear how his take on how the, the truly disruptive nature of nfts within the, the music industry i think giving fans an opportunity to connect with artists at a deeper level giving artists an opportunity to express themselves in creative ways giving fans an opportunity to let their fandom appreciate over time right these are collectibles with a, um, if done right, a thriving secondary market. So I think that it really just creates a, a cool experience all around. And I think despite the fact that we are on kind of the, the end stage of what's been a major hype cycle, I think it is going to be very, very exciting to continue to see these very innovative uses. I think the way he said it, that the coolest drop by no means has been done yet. Still very much the wild, wild west and early on, uh, what will continue to be a, a very fast growing space. So I, I love that. What's we'll, we'll stood out to you, Jordan?
1: I actually haven't spoken too much about social tokens before, so I'm glad we got a glimpse of that and what they could be to the music industry at large moving forward. I'm super grateful that we had that conversation, Um, as well as him being vulnerable about the beginning of his career as a manager. Um, I think being a manager is something that obviously it's something that anybody can do, which makes it much more interesting to hear people's stories about how they got into it and the type of manager that they are so um as far as nfts goes social tokens um and on the flip side of that just managing in general i think there's a lot to take away from this episode
0: thousand percent well appreciate you all for always tuning in we'll be back next week until then we out